Well, actually, if you have a Bible, if you would turn to the book of Ruth, which is kind of a strange place to go on Christmas, but we will we'll go there. And while you turn there, I wanted to let you know that uh, if you're not worshiping anywhere tomorrow morning uh, on Sunday, we'll be gathered here together. There will be one service here at 10 a.m. with classes for all the kids up to age 12. And so we would love it if you're able to join us tomorrow, too, to, to celebrate the birth of Christ together on Christmas morning. Um, but we're here tonight because we have, have gathered, and by we I mean God's people, God's churches have gathered for, for centuries to celebrate at this time of year the birth of Christ. And for those of you who've been with us for a while, you've been with us for, for the last month as we've walked through the book of Ruth, which is a story that actually took place about a thousand years before Jesus was walking the earth. But like the Christmas story, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of God answering a bitter cry in a completely unexpected and over-the-top way with an over-the-top blessing that nobody deserved. And this story started with a bitter lament, the, the lament of a woman named Naomi who had lost everything. She had moved away from home in search of food, and in the land of Moab, she lost her husband and her two sons. After a decade, she returned home, and she had just with her her one widowed daughter named Ruth. That was, was the only one that she had after going away in search of food, hoping to come back full, but she said that she came back empty. But the truth is, she wasn't completely empty. Ruth refused to leave her side. And so when she came back, she had Ruth there, they had banded together, and Ruth was in some ways the beginning of God's answer to her prayers. She stuck with her, even though it meant for Ruth that she would probably have, in her mind, a life of poverty, a life without family, it meant that she would be poor and spend all of her time going out and just gleaning, picking whatever food that she could pick to bring home and feed her family for a day with a day's worth of work. But God was merciful. He, he heard the cry of Naomi for all of those years, for all those years when she didn't know where God was, she didn't know what he was doing, and, and God began to answer her prayers and her cries for relief and mercy. So God sent a man named Boaz and Boaz was a man who owned a field, and he owned the field where one day Ruth just happened to be out gleaning, and she caught his attention. And he had heard about her. He had heard about her sacrifice and her courage and her worthiness. And so he made sure that she was safe. He, he made sure that she had plenty of food for her and for Naomi. And then finally, at the end of the story, having, having caught her eye, he says, in a sense, I would love it if you would be my wife. She responds, yes. And now they've gone to the gates of the city where they did business, and, and they have announced to the town that Boaz and Ruth were going to be married. This wasn't going to be a story of just bitterness. This was going to be a story of redemption. And so in Ruth 4.11, it says, then all of the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, it doesn't necessarily stand out to us, but this is kind of a strange thing to say when you're celebrating a wedding because they're bringing up the relationship of Tamar and Judah. And we won't turn there now because it's not at all a Christmas story, but it is a, a scandalous story. In fact, it's one of the more shady beginnings of a relationship uh, in all of the Bible. And honestly, that's saying a lot. And so, so here they are at this wedding, and the people are saying, may your house be like their house, like the house of, of Tamar, the house of Perez. They're bringing up this scandalous relationship when they're celebrating this wedding that's happening. I and mean, this would be like going to the wedding of your friend and tearing up and saying, this is just like 
Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Like, it, people would say, that's not appropriate to bring up here. Like this, we want this to be a good thing. But these people knew that this story continued. The story of, of that, that ancient marriage that had started in all kinds of shady ways was turned around and became a story of redemption. Because there was a boy named Nashan who, who came from that union, and later on he was called the prince of the sons of Judah. So what they're saying to Boaz is, Boaz, this marriage that you're getting into with Ruth, it has less than an ideal start. You're marrying a woman whose people have a reputation. You're marrying a, a widow whose life has been hard and whose mother-in-law has, has been bitter. You're marrying this woman whose family line was littered with shame and scandal. But God is a God of redemption. And in our past, he took terrible starts and he gave them beautiful finishes. He took curses and he made them blessings. So when they see that Boaz and Ruth are about to get married, they say, may God do the same thing with you. Now, the thing about Boaz is he had a history too. In fact, when you read about his family line in Matthew chapter 1, it says this, and this is when he's laying out the genealogy of Jesus. He says, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashan, and Nashan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. So Boaz, Boaz's mom was this woman named Rahab, and she was a, a non-Jewish prostitute. And she had helped some men from Israel in wartime. Apparently, she came to believe in their God, and she was completely turned around. Her life had been this story of redemption to where she later on became this Jewish hero. And Boaz grew up with her as his mom. So the whole time he was growing up, he was probably hearing these stories about how God is a God of redemption. She would probably tell him the stories of the darkness that her life once was and what it now is as she came to know this God of Israel. So this boy Boaz grew, grew up hearing the story of redemption from his mom and then having received that story of redemption in his life, he just passed that grace on to Ruth. And so tonight, maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, that I look around and I think the Christian people, these are the good people. These are the ones who, who deserve to have a relationship with God. These are the ones who've lived a good life. They're able to sing these songs. They're able to say that they're Christians. But I look at my life and I don't think I could ever be part of this. Because for me, it just hasn't been clean. For me, I just couldn't imagine that God would use me. And so maybe you feel totally far from God, totally alienated because of the things you've done, because of the darkness of your past, or even because of the darkness of your present. But the story of Ruth and the story of Christmas is the story of God stepping in to redeem. And in fact, as you read through the, the genealogy of Jesus, you don't see this line of unblemished church folk. And Jesus didn't come just to lead the good people. Jesus came to redeem the sinful people. He came to redeem people like us. And the main reason that the baby Jesus was born wasn't so that he could grow up and teach some stuff. It was so that he could grow up and die. So he could go to the cross, so that he could be buried, and so he could rise again, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The message of Christmas is not an affirmation for the good people. It's a call to the broken people to trust in the Savior, to trust in their only hope and the Savior who would come to redeem them and to give them a relationship with God. And so the story of Boaz and Ruth continues in verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. 
Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And David was their great king. So all of these years of bitterness and lamentation had been answered with a baby. A baby who came to be the grandfather of the king. And then in the New Testament, it gets even better. Because he he tells this story and lays out this genealogy. But then in Matthew 1 verse 15, it continues and it says, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan. And it goes on to say, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So this redemptive story of Ruth just got even more redemptive because from her line came the ultimate king, came Jesus, the redeemer of all redeemers, the one who would come and save anyone who would trust in him from their sin, the God who would welcome anyone who would take refuge in him under his wings. That's who came through the line of Ruth. And I'm sure when Naomi had lost everything, when she was bitter, when she was lamenting, wondering if anything good could ever come of her life, she never would have thought that through her line would come the Messiah who would save God's people from their sins. The answer to her lament was the coming of Jesus. And the truth is, this is the answer to our lament too. You know, at Christmas time, sometimes we'll sense our need. We'll, we'll sense some of the emptiness in our lives. Maybe your family, as you look at it this year, is far more broken and splintered than you would like it to be. And you wish that you'd be able to come together as a family. You've got this hunger for those relationships to be restored. But ultimately, the answer to that lament is not the restoration of, of your family, as, as amazing as that would be. The answer to that bitterness is that baby who was born in Bethlehem. That that relational hunger that you have ultimately isn't just a hunger for the welcome of family and everybody being together around the fire. That hunger that you have is a hunger for relationship with the God who made you. And on Christmas, God sent his son to come and live and die and redeem so that you could have that relationship with him again. Or maybe this year you're, you're sensing that financial want You wish you could do more tomorrow morning. You wish there were more presents under the tree. You wish you could provide more for your family. You you wish there was more abundance. But ultimately, that that desire to to have more, you'll never have enough. It'll never satisfy. And you'll think that maybe if I had the better job, maybe if we had more presents, maybe if I could just create the perfect Hallmark Christmas morning, then we'd have the smiles on our face and we'd have the peace that we're after. If that's all you had tomorrow, there would still be an emptiness. There'd still be some sorrow. There'd still be brokenness. Because the answer for that longing to always have plenty can't be satisfied with everything that this world has. Everything this world has is not enough to fill that void in our heart. The answer for that longing is Jesus who came on Christmas. 
It's a relationship with God. That, that hole in your heart was made only to be filled with a relationship with your creator and nothing else in all the universe, even all of the universe itself, crammed into your heart could ever satisfy. Only Christ can. The answer for everything that we, we feel like we want really isn't the warmth of Christmas, but it's the greater warmth of having a relationship with our God in Christ. Our biggest need is always redemption. And Jesus is always more than a match for all the desires of our heart. In fact, listen to what Ephesians says he did. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in, one, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God had taken us who were his enemies who had sinned and fallen short of his glory, who were rebellious against him, and he poured out the gracious gift of his son on us so that we could have everlasting life. In this story of Ruth, if you've been tracking with us for this month, it starts, it's really our story because it tells the story of Ruth starting in chapter one with nothing. She's empty, she's broken, essentially she's as good as dead, she's not going to have family, she misses out on everything that their culture thought would be a good thing, but then in the end, in chapter four, Ruth is a beautiful bride who will be blessed and live happily and then will, will, will live forever because of what will come from her womb. You know, our story is that we are the people who were dead in our sins, we were without hope, we were without a future, we were, we were without relationship with God, but he redeemed us. He came and he called us his bride. He washed away our sins. He, by, by shedding his blood for us, he made a way so that our impurities could be passed over and we wouldn't have to be judged, but we could be received as the children of God and even called his bride, spending eternity with him forever. The story of Ruth and the story of Christmas is a story of redemption that God accomplished in Jesus. So if you're here tonight and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, don't let that become old to you. Don't let that become just routine. That the God of the universe would care enough for you to send his son to die so that you could have everlasting life. If that's all he ever did and the rest of our life seemed empty, what we have in Christ is enough. And if you're here tonight and you are not a believer in Christ, maybe you came out with family and they dragged you here, or you came out for, for the sentiment and the, and the warmth of the season. We're, we're glad that you're here. But we would be even more glad to know that God tonight opened up your heart to the reality of what Christmas can mean for you. And a lot of times we think, well, I've got to work my way to get myself to God. And then maybe if I do enough, maybe I'll earn his approval and he'll accept me, he'll love me, he'll make me his. But the message of Christmas is that we couldn't do it on our own. So God sent his son. 
We couldn't work our way there. We couldn't become religious enough. We couldn't put enough in the offering to get him to accept us, joining a church, doing religious uh, rituals. None of that would connect us with our Savior because we have sinned. We've fallen far too short of the glory of God. But the good news of Christmas is that he sent his sons that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. So if that's you and, and you sense that distance between yourself and God tonight, just admit that it's real. Admit that it's true. I mean, don't pretend anymore. The, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then believe the good news. Instead of trying to fix it on your own and doing enough to get God to like you, just recognize that you can't. But then believe in the message of Christmas that God sent his son. Believe that that son, Jesus, is God among us who, who lived a perfect life. He perfectly obeyed all the law of God that none of us could have obeyed. He died on the cross to take the place for us to take the punishment that we deserved. And then he rose again, proving that he is God, proving that that death was enough to pay the price for us. So if tonight you're willing to let go of what you were running after, let go of selfishness, let go of sin, let go of unbelief, let go of making anything other than Jesus ultimate, and you will turn and you'll believe in Christ, he promises that of all who would come to him, he won't lose one. He won't turn you away. He will receive you. He sent his son as a gift to show you his love, to offer you redemption. And tonight, if by faith, you'll cry out to him in whatever words you want, crying from the depth of your heart, saying, God, I know that I've sinned. Save me. Forgive me. I believe in your son. I believe in your death for me. He promises to receive you and give you everlasting life. This is great news. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is the greatest gift that we could ever receive the gift of the the life of the Son of God living in us that we get for all eternity. The only thing that can satisfy our heart, the only thing that we were made for, that relationship with our Creator, He came to redeem us so that we could have it. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are in awe of your gracious generosity. We're in awe of the gift that you gave on Christmas. Father, what kind of love must it be that you would send your Son to die? We're amazed that you've done that for us. We're amazed that you've forgiven us. And Father, I pray that the reality of your gospel would sink deeply into our hearts because we confess we don't believe it like we should. We we don't trust enough in you and the evidence is all over us, the, the angst and the lack of satisfaction and the feeling like nothing will ever be enough. Father, help us tonight and through this season to sense the enough of Jesus in our hearts. Let us be satisfied in you. Let's find our joy in you. And let us go into this season sharing that joy with those around us. Lord, thank you for the difference you've made in our life. And and I pray that like Boaz, as we have experienced your grace in our lives, that we would be people who go out and paint a picture of your grace in the lives that we, we interact with all throughout the week. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.